The Chinook Indian Nation is made up of five Native American tribes that have lived for thousands of years along the lower Columbia River, within an area that spans from Tillamook Head on the Oregon coast, north to Willapa Bay in Washington, and east to present-day Longview. These tribes share a common language, Chinook, and a rich culture that centers on water. Chinookan people built and then piloted massive canoes on the Columbia River. Up and down they would travel the Pacific coast, ferrying goods for trade, like modern-day shipping barges. Today the Chinook are fighting for federal recognition again, and all the benefits that come with that. Penguin Chats is brought to you in part by Gin Group, Schwabi, Williamson & Wyatt, Vesta Hospitality, Waste Connections of Washington, Arnerich Messina, and U.S. Bank. Our corporate partners are helping make extraordinary things happen at Clark College Foundation. Welcome to Penguin Chats, a Clark College Foundation production. I'm Rhonda Morin. Sam Robinson, a Clark alumnus and Chinook member, sat down with writer Lily Rath McCallow to discuss his ancestors. They talked about why Chinook people are still fighting for their rights and how his years at Clark College from 1980 to 1983 helped prepare him for tribal leadership as vice chairman. So I want to start just kind of asking you to set the scene for us, because I know from speaking with you previously that you attended Clark right around the same time that you started reconnecting with your Native American heritage. So set the scene for us and tell us what was happening in your life at that time. I just gotten out of the military. I spent four years uh, down at Fort Ord, California, um, and uh, that's where I met my wife of today, you know, and uh, Mildred, and uh, and I decided I needed to move back up to Washington. You know, obviously the people I was working for really wanted me to uh, stay in uh, to try to get Mildred to convince me, you know, but uh, she said, no, nope, he wants to move to Washington, so they agreed to that. and. I moved on up here and, you know, I probably drew unemployment for about two months and then got a job. And then as I got settled into the job, I, I felt uh, that, uh, um, you know, it's time to start taking care of, you know, taking some of my benefits and uh, I decided to uh, go to Clark. So I went to evening school. So I worked full time and then did 12 credited hours during evening school. And then flashing back, of course, you know, it's, uh, um, I think it costs like 60 or $70 for full credit as a veteran, you know, <laughs> pretty reasonable. <laughs> so I came back up here and then also, you know, the other thing that was in the back of my mind was uh, connecting with the tribe. As a child, I always grew up around my aunties and uncles and great aunties and great uncles and uh, down in a little town called Bay Center on the Willapa Bay. And, and I felt that, uh, you know, I want to see what the tribe's doing, what the government of the tribe is doing. And, so I started attending meetings and annual meetings and, uh, you know, life was good. You know, life was good. You have um, members of Chinook Indian Nation on your maternal and paternal sides of your family tree. Was your Native American heritage a big part of your childhood? And can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, you know, like I said, you know, I mean, hanging out with the great aunties and great uncles, they're the ones that really, you know, told the story. I didn't, I didn't know them all, but I knew two of my great aunties and, and one of my great uncles. And I remember as a child visiting uh, them and sitting in their living rooms and they would be talking, you know, with my father about, you know, some of the old way, old days. And, and um, <clears throat> my uncle Clyde, you know, he had, uh, you know, uh, singing rights as a Chinook Indian. 
back in those days, so he's able to fish. And, you know, it's always good. My great aunties, they're just, just lovely people, you know, just lovely people, you know, good storytellers. So it was always good to, get the, you know, have that happening as I was growing up. And then, of course, later when I brought Mildred up here, you know, I took her down to meet him. She had the ability to, you know, spend some time with him as well. You know, and uh, very, very loving people. You know, and then as a child, you know, uh, you know, coming into Bay Center, there's certain times of years where, you know, you just enjoy being down there. You know, one of them is uh, in the spring, you know, when you pull off the main road out there and you start smelling the smokehouses and all the fish, everybody's smoking fish, you know, and you get over there and you're just asking, hey, uncle, uncle, when, when, when was that fish going to be ready? Oh, no, it's got a couple more hours. Oh, come on, come on, you know, so... They're eager, eager to get into that and uh, and just connecting, you know, and going down onto the beaches and so forth where our ancestors stayed, you know, and, and later on, of course, in life, I understood more, more and more about it. And even today, you know, I, you just keep learning, keep learning about Chinook in their honor. Did you go uh, fishing with your uncle? Yeah, I did go fishing with my uncle a few times out in the ocean, you know, and uh, we always did well. Um, also going clamming, we go out and dig clams, you know, uh, right off and down in the Willapaw Bay and, and crabby. The, the, the bay was a giving place and still is, and you know, and that's why they live there in that, in that Willapaw area. The Chinook Indian Nation is actually made up of five tribes um, they share a, a language, Chinook, and obviously their um, ancestral locations were close together along the mouth of the Columbia River. How closely related or intertwined are these tribes? You know, very, very closely. I mean, uh, we have uh, several tribal members, like for instance, myself, I'm Lower Chinook and Willapaw because my uh, third great grandfather, Thomas Huxwell, he was a, a signer of that Anson Dart Treaty at Tansy Point. And, uh, he married a Willapaw woman, Chais, my, my third great grandmother. So very tied together. And some people have, you know, as many as three different tribes. Um, when you're a tribe, you know, you don't marry your own people. So you got to marry people from the area. So there's very, very intermingled. You know, we got like, oh, probably about a little over 3,000 members in our nation and uh, a, lot, a lot of cousins. You know, I, when I start reading off the names of who, who I'm, the families I'm related to, you know, it's about five or six of them down in that, that little Paw Bay area, that Long Beach Peninsula area. It's always good. It's always good to know your cousins. And when we bring new people in, you know, uh, uh, into the tribe, you know, one of our goals over the last few years is to make them more connected, so we require them to come and, and get their enrollment. They have to come to a meeting to get their enrollment. And when they do, we ask them what family they descended from, and then we start pointing out all their cousins that been in the room that day, you know, so they can really get to know and become part of the tribe, because that's what it's all about. You know, tribe, you know, being tribal is you know, being, being there, being connected, not just a, a family bloodline. Is that something that happened to you when you first started going to meetings? Did you meet family that you hadn't known was your family? Yeah, it's always good. You know, it's like a family reunion. I mean, when you have the annual meetings, because more people are there than normal monthly meetings. And um, yeah, you start seeing, you know, people that travel a long distance to come in there. So it's like a huge family reunion and everybody's just all happy. And it's, and it's actually a little bit hard or a little bit difficult to start the meeting because everybody, everybody wants to keep talking. 
you know, but uh, throughout the day, you know, whether it's lunch or afterwards, people still have that, that time to connect. What made you decide to first get involved in tribal leadership? You know, I you know, never really thought that I was, you know, ready for that, you know, because, you know, you're always in a learning phase. Um, I can remember coming to Clark College one year and listening to Chief Cliff Snyder speaking. And uh, I, I got done and said, hey, Chief, I really enjoyed your talk today. He said, Sam, you'll be doing this down the road. And I said, no, nah, never, never. So, you know, listening was my main point, you know. And then uh, my cousin one day, we're sitting in a little Methodist church at a, at a council meeting in Bay Center, and she said, Sam, you need to get on council. I said, ah, I don't know, I don't know. Then a position came open, and there was like six months left on it. And they said anybody interested, you know, could apply and be interviewed by council and be appointed. And um, I felt that, well, maybe this is time for me to figure if I wanted to get my feet wet and be part of council and, and they chose me out of the three people and, and that was uh, 22 years ago and I'm still on council. So I'm, I must be doing okay. You know, I'm still learning, obviously. You know, one thing I tell people uh, and today when I'm out speaking is that when I came on tribal council, we were a federally recognized tribe, you know, and then, to, and then I, I spent the last uh, 21 years fighting for federal status, you know, so it's uh, kind of tough. Let's talk about that, because a big part of what you do is advocate for the federal government to officially recognize the Chinook Indian Nation. And of course, recognition is a legal status that includes certain benefits, such as health care benefits and funding. And Chinook Indian Nation was recognized during the end of Bill Clinton's presidency, but that recognition was rescinded early during George W. Bush's presidency. What would it mean for the people of Chinook Indian Nation to get this recognition reinstated? First, I'd just like to remind everybody that we are a sovereign nation. We're a sovereign nation because of our ancestors and the land they lived on. But recognition, it brings a lot to, to people. You know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of our, uh, our members, you know, live around other Indian communities. And sometimes, you know, uh, you'll be kind of considered less than because you're not a federally recognized tribe, but, you know, you've got the history, just as much history as they do. You know, so I think that would take a little of that burden off, you know, and people would be very proud to be, uh, you know, have a seat at the table and be able to, you know, uh, be just as important to the, uh, the non-Indian community, um, you know, like the, the government, you know, uh, as those other tribes. But uh, it would also help us, well, we're going to bring our people back together because we're going to be able to develop more, you know, provide provide for our people, whether it be health services for our elders or elder housing or, you know, child protection. You know, we don't have the right to go into courts and, and make sure that, you know, if our, if our uh, Native children are going into foster homes or so forth, we have no say on that. The government just takes them and puts them where they want. You know, kind of reminds us of, you know, back in the days, you know, like when my great aunties and uncles went to boarding schools, you know, so they're actually be t taken away. And we'd like to have more say about that and, and to be able to protect the bones of our ancestors. Because when, our, when you know, when Huxwell signed that treaty, you know, he, they stayed in the Willapaw Bay because 
Um, they did not want to leave the bones of their ancestors. They didn't want to move to Yakima like uh, Anson Dart wanted us to. So we were able to stay down there. And that's what helped us keep our culture alive. But it means a lot. It means a lot to be at the table, um, you know, and get the respect from the government that we, we should have. You know, when I look at uh, today's world, you know, when they, uh, you know, they're writing the criteria for, you know, schools and so forth, you know, it's uh, clearly in the bill. It's for federal, you have to go to the nearest federally recognized tribe. So teachers get confused, you know, they get confused, you know, and we, we try to get the word out there that Chinook's still here and you need to talk to us as well. Back to your time at Clark, what what made you decide to attend Clark? You talked about this a little bit. You just moved back to Washington. Well, you, you know, I grew up in I grew up in Clark County. You know, when I was one year old, we, I moved back into this area, and with my my dad moved us up here, so I, I was very familiar with Clark College, and so uh, it was convenient for me to come down here and and get my feet wet. You know, in in the uh, in the uh, education. Uh, most of my education throughout life was, uh, you know, other than high school, you know, normal school was uh, hands-on. You know, it's definitely the military was hands-on. And uh, um, so I just wanted to, help, you know, come to Clark and, uh, you know, improve some of my skills and, uh, and, and you know, make my, you know, better myself and, and just learn more and be, you know, of interest. And, and uh, I can see that, you know, by doing that down the road, you know, especially when I got tribal council things where starting to click and starting to fall into place. And I, and I still, you know, I still uh, keep that connection with Clark. Now I do come and talk to people and I've taught a couple classes at Clark, you know, so uh, I guess Chief Snyder was right. <laughs> yes, he was. Tell us a little bit more about your, what you do as vice chairman of the Tribal Council for Chinook Indian Nation. You know, I, as vice chairman, the, t the technical thing you do is when the chairman's not there, you you, you run you run the meetings and so forth. But for me, um, it's a, it's a lot of it's uh, getting out and telling the story. You know, doing a lot of PR. You know, just uh, over the years, educating people that Chinook is still here. I sat on other committees. You know, I sat on the uh, education committee. We were fortunate that uh, one of our tribal members left us an endowment for scholarships. So that's one thing we do have, the ability to give out scholarships to people. Also, I said on the Natural Resources Committee, because we're trying to really get people educated and, and myself, I'm still learning, but to go out in the woods and gather and get those medicines and those foods and those uh, materials for weaving to be able to take care of our people. And then also, uh, you know, I said on the, uh, uh, the, the canoe family, you know, we travel hundreds of miles by canoe and we would, really hope that we're making our ancestors proud and and uh, by being out in that ocean and wherever we're traveling and uh, and uh, we're feeling really good about that but uh, predominantly I, I do I do get out there and I do a lot of uh, a lot of sharing that Chinook is still here and uh, you know and then talking right now we you know we're talking about a lot of our struggles without federal status you know and uh, sometimes that really kind of, kind of chokes me up you know but uh,
you mentioned the canoe. Um, the Chinookan people have a long history of traveling by canoe. Um, tell us a little bit about that, because you're not talking about the kind of canoe that a lot of our listeners are probably imagining right now. Well, our ancestors were quite the canoe people. They would uh, put out the mouth of that Columbia River, and they would end up by northern down by Northern California if they hooked the left, and they hooked the right. They they'd end up all the way up uh, near uh, southern Alaska, and into the Sound. And uh, so, they, yeah, they had huge canoes, much bigger than we have today. And they 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 were known to have canoes that could carry seven tons of, of freight, you know, just because of all the trading that they were doing. And, and as we travel today in canoe journeys where we're, you know, there's a host tribe and you you might travel eight to 10 uh, days to get to that host tribe and you're, you're jumping from a uh, different tribe to different tribe and sharing songs and picking up more people and, and, and going, you know, I, I, it makes me realize that our ancestors were leaving relatives everywhere for us because we have people, we have, you know, Chinook relatives in the Squally and Lummi and, you know, Squawks in Ireland and Quinault and Callets and just everywhere. You know, it seemed like wherever our ancestors were traveling, we have cousins. So, and then, and, you know, it was early on as we're doing these canoe journeys, these, these people didn't even know we weren't federally recognized. You know, they held us to a higher standard, which is really nice, you know, uh, considering Chinook was huge. I mean, before the plagues came through, there were just so many Chinook people around. And, and, and everybody that spoke a different language spoke our language because they wanted to trade with us. And uh, so uh, we had connections for tens of thousands of years. But yes, today we travel in a 36-foot canoe, six feet wide, holds 12 polars, three extra passengers, a little bit of cargo. And we'll go out of that Willapaw Bay and paddle up the ocean. And, you know, four days later, we're up in Nia Bay with, with the macaw. It's all good. And you make the paddles too, right? I do make my own paddles. I, I actually have a canoe. Mine's a 31-footer. It's uh, it swooped the bear. Uh, it was made by a Lewis and Clark reenactor and gifted to my uh, uh, late cousin. And, and when Ray passed, he left it to me. And so I'm the proud keeper of his swoot. And I have to, have to have at least 12 paddles if I'm going to invite my friends. You know, so I do make paddles, yes. And how often do you get out in that canoe? I mean, that's not an easy thing to just take out on a Sunday afternoon? Yeah, it's it's a little, been a little tough the last three years, you know, with, with COVID. And then this year with all the heat, you know, it, to get out. So um, next year we're paddling to Muckle Chute, so we know we're, we have a place to go to and canoe journeys are gonna be opening back up. And, and I look forward to getting, my mind's more of a river canoe. You know, it's 31 feet long, but it doesn't have the high gunnels like the, uh, our other canoe, class mean, but uh, now I look forward to getting back out in the canoe and, and the singing and the, the sharing and, uh, you know, talking about family reunions, you know, when you go on canoe journey, there's like 10,000 Indians there and, and uh, you're related to a lot of them, so it's good. recently elected to your eighth term as vice chairman of Tribal Council for Chinook Indian Nation. And I'm curious how your how your service has changed over this time and, and how has the Chinook Indian Nation changed over this time too? You know, early on when I started going to meetings, it seemed like there wasn't 
a lot of participation in the meetings. You know, sometimes you'd wonder if there's going to have a quorum or, you know, uh, there might be a handful of people in the audience, but those people were important people because they were the elders that, you know, you wanted to learn from. So I was always happy to be there. And then, and then you know, and then when I got on council, it started getting a little better and, and, and it's been growing lately. You know, now we have committees, you know, these committees are very involved. We've got very educated folks that have come and help with us, you know, um, and that's what we look at, you know, because we didn't have a reservation or, and, and we had things like wars or boarding school or, you know, things people had to go find jobs that they moved away, you know, and, uh, but when they did, they got educated. And as they got educated, you know, we, we, we were able to tap into a resource. I mean, our communication committee is just wonderful, you know, uh, they get the word out really well through all different, uh, uh, areas and, uh, our cultural committee has always been pretty strong, but uh, yeah, we, we, we do. We have people that are educated and we got more people coming in to join us. They, you know, they, they hear that there's a need and, and they come in to help us out. And uh, we're, still, we're still researching to see when those people moved away, what did they get educated in? So we try to tell people what needs we have and, and hopefully that when we get that reservation, they'll all, they'll all come back and we'll be super strong. What can people who are listening to this podcast do to support Chinook Indian Nation? I think, you know, to, to learn more about Chinook is always important. You know, I have friends that want to, you know, be able to go out there and they said, well, I, just the other day, they said, well, I'd like to tell your story. Can you give me more information? So I send them, send them some information, you know, because they want to tell others. And, uh, you know, we, we have a Twitter account, you know, twitter.com backslash Chinook, uh, Lower Score Nation. Uh, we have our website, you know, the ChinookNation.org. Uh, our Facebook.com is Chinook uh, Indian Nation. And our Instagram is uh, Everyday Chinook. And that's a wonderful way for people to go look and see that we are still here and we're doing great things. But uh, to learn about Chinook, you know, to learn about uh, uh, what our needs are or how we've been treated over, over the years is very important because then these people can go out and reflect that to others and tell the story and tell the politicians on both sides of the river. You know, um, it took years and years for people to realize that we are an Oregon and Washington tribe. And it, I seem like seven years ago when we bought our treaty grounds at Tansy Point down by Warrington, that all of a sudden everybody in Oregon opened their eyes and said, wow, they are an Oregon tribe. You know, but they would always consider us a Washington tribe because that's where our office is. So today, you know, they want us on their boards and they want our input and it, it feels good. It feels really good that, you know, we're being acknowledged. What do you wish more people understood about Chinook Indian Nation? I think, uh, you know, when I, when I greet people, I say, Sahayam, and we usually raise our hands because we're lifting those people up, you know, above us, you know, holding them to a high standard. And Sahayam is our greeting, but what we're saying is that we're pitiful and that, you know, we're holding them to a high status and we're glad that they're in our presence. So I think it's good to know that Chinook people are very humble, humble people, and, uh, um, and we just want to make sure that we just take care of our people and and uh, definitely proud to share, you know, our, our culture and our history with everybody. You know, you can stop a Chinook person and uh, uh, talk to you for hours. 
At least my wife accuses me of that, you know, so. But that's part of your job. And that's part of my job, yes, exactly. <laughs> and I enjoy doing that job. Yeah, well, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today, Sam. We'll be sure to put um, some contact information for Chinook Indian Nation on Clark College Foundation's website so people who listen to the podcast or read about you can connect with the tribe and learn more about your people. Mossy. Hi, Mossy. Raise my hands and thanks. So have a good day. Thanks, Sam. This is great. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, my honor. Be sure to visit our website, clarkcollegefoundation.org, to listen to other fascinating stories about Clark, its alumni and faculty. Well, that does it for this edition of Penguin Chats. Thanks for listening. I'm Rhonda Morin. Penguin Chats is brought to you in part by Gin Group, Schwabi, Williamson & Wyatt, Vesta Hospitality, Waste Connections of Washington, Arnerich Messina, and U.S. Bank. Our corporate partners are helping make extraordinary things happen at Clark College Foundation. Thank you.